0: Let's open up our Bibles to this um, passage in Psalm 102. We're looking at verses 25 to 28. But I want to start with Katy Perry this morning. She had a song a few years ago, presumably about her boyfriend, and it went like this. You change your mind like a girl changes clothes. You're hot, then you're cold. You're yes, then you're no. You're in, then you're out. You're up, then you're down. We fight, we break up. We kiss, we make up. Have you ever had a relationship like that or, or had to deal with a person like that, someone who's always changing their mind, who you can't depend on, someone who you, you never knew if, if they were going to come through or be there for you when you were expecting them or you needed them because it just depended on what they were feeling like that day? Contrast that kind of person, that kind of experience with, with a bit of an older song another popular song which describes a different kind of experience the four tops i'll be there now if you feel that you can't go on because all your hope is gone and your life is filled with much confusion until happiness is just an illusion and your world the world around is crumbling down i'll be there with a love that will shelter you i'll be there with a love that will see you through i'll be there to always see you through That's the kind of love we want, right? That's the kind of people we want in our lives. People we can count on. People who are faithful, who are strong, who are reliable, who are trustworthy. And it's not just in close, intimate relationships either. It's in all relationships and in all of life, for that matter, that we need stability. That we need things not to change too much. Kids need routines, Students need consistency and fairness from their teachers. So do employees from their supervisors. Farmers need dependability of of season and weather or they'll lose their crops. Scientists and and technology built on science depends on the predictability and the consistency of the laws of nature. Imagine if you came in one day and all the formulas had changed. educators need to know that that the facts they teach about are still going to be more or less true tomorrow. We all need a certain amount of stability, a certain amount of non-changingness in order to survive and to function and to thrive. The, The prophet Isaiah describes what happens when this kind of stability is lacking, when the foundations get shaken too much and we all quake and we cast about aimlessly and anxiety and even chaos reign. Isaiah 24, the floodgates of the heavens are opened, the foundations of the earth shake, the earth is broken up, the earth is split asunder, the earth is violently shaken, the earth reels like a drunkard, it sways like a hut in the wind, like an earthquake, right? Nobody wants to find themselves in that kind of situation, Even those who like change need a certain amount of stability. They need some things that are predictable and solid and dependable. And given this, what a blessing that at the center of the universe, upholding all things, keeping all things together, is a God who does not change. This morning we continue our series on the attributes of God. We've looked at how God knows everything how God is everywhere, how God has all power, and how God is holy. And today we look at how God's being these ways never changes. Today we look at God's immutability, God's unchangingness. Think about this with me. Think about the vast universe held together by the laws of science and nature, the earth rotating reliably on its axis, planets orbiting the sun, seasons coming and going, um consistently winter spring summer fall people going out to work nations prospering night and day people enjoy peace economies are stable that's the good life that's what we hope for that's what we depend on and very often it's what we experience but of course sometimes things get shaken and chaos reigns, and trouble and anxiety prevail. Think what a difference it makes if change and upheaval is the exception compared to if it's the rule. Think what a difference it makes if at the center of it all, at the core of existence, is something, someone steady and solid and dependable rather than what's changeable and unpredictable and fickle even. Well, there's, uh, rather here is the good news about God that we're going to consider this morning. While our lives may at times change too much, God never does. God remains the same, sure and steadfast and dependable. The one at the center of the universe The one with all power, the one who knows all, the Holy One who's present everywhere and in everything remains completely and forever a source of unchanging stability. And everyone gets to enjoy this. Those who believe in God and those who don't. Even atheists get to enjoy the fact that the sun comes up every morning. That gravity keeps us connected to this earth that day after day play out with relative stability and predictability, thanks to the work and the power and the presence of an unchanging God. Of course, those of us who believe in God, for those of us who have a relationship with God and put our trust in God, we get to enjoy God's unchangingness even more. I remember um, this bringing me comfort the first Time that I went overseas that was on a mission trip to Romania and I was experiencing culture shock for the first time I, I couldn't understand the language the the food was strange and I was somewhat of a cautious eater at that point in time the the places looked different and unsettling compared to what I was used to the buildings the roads the, the smells even were different. There was so much change. It was deeply unsettling. If you've ever experienced culture shock, you know what I'm talking about. And, and then a friend who, who was there with me encouraged me uh, with the words of a song that, that we, we both knew. The other side of the world isn't so far away. And she reminded me that, that that's true when, when God is with us. That while everything else might be changing, God is the same and the same God that we knew back home is with us. And, and we looked up at the sky and, and the sky looked the same. The sun looked the same. The clouds looked the same. And it was a reminder to me that while everything was shaking and, and confusing down in my life, that I could rely on a God who never changed. But the question is, do we fully enjoy God's unchangingness? Let me ask you, what do you depend on for stability? Do you depend on your job, the regular income that comes each payday? Do you depend on your investments and the returns that you get from your mutual funds? Or how about uh, the reputation and the track record of the insurance companies your policies are with? Is that what you depend on? What do you depend on for consistency and for security? How about the reliability ratings of the car you drive? Its reliability in terms of not breaking down or its safety ratings. What do you depend on? Or do you rely on the government to keep Social Security and Medicare solvent so that it's there for you in your old age? Come on, just a few more years before it all falls apart. Do you depend on the government to maintain a military and a foreign policy sufficient to keep us safe and prosperous? Or or maybe you depend on a significant other to be strong for you, to stay faithful to you, to be there for you, to give you love and affection, companionship, to meet your needs. Or do you depend on yourself? Do you depend on your own smarts, your own ability to to go out there and, and get a job, your own resilience, your own marketability? What is it that you depend on? None of these other things are utterly reliable, are they? They don't bring us utter security or complete peace of mind. Well, ponder with me now what it would look like instead of putting our trust in those other things to fully put our trust in a God who does not change. Let's read our verses again from Psalm 12. In the beginning, God, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them, and they will be discarded. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. The children of your servants will live in your presence. Their descendants will be established before you. First off, notice in these verses that they celebrate that God is eternal. That that God has always been. In the beginning, God was there when the foundations of the earth were laid. And though heaven and earth perish in the future, still God will remain. God's years will never end. From eternity past to eternity future, forever God remains. God always was, is, and always will be eternal And eternally consistent, eternally dependable. God never changes. Verse 27, you remain the same. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God never wavers or shifts like shifting shadows. The Lord does not change. That's good news. Because it means that God is reliable. God is faithful. God is solid, stable, and steadfast. We can put our trust in God and, and find our peace and security in God. Think of the analogies and the imageries that uh, the images that, that Scripture uses uh, of God to describe God's unchangingness. God is a strong tower. God is a solid rock. God is a firm foundation. God is our refuge and strength, Psalm 46. Our ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way, the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, God is unshakable. God does not tremble. God does not quake. God is rock solid. And so Psalm 90, Lord, You have been our dwelling place through all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The the psalmists celebrate that God is dependable, God is faithful. So question, are you really trusting the unchanging God for stability and for security? Or is your trust in lesser things, which can be shaken? I, the Lord, God says, do not change. But is that really true? It, it doesn't always seem that way, does it, even in the Bible? First of all, as we read our Bible, sometimes it seems that God is patient and forgiving and overlooking those who rebel against God and offend God. We we read of many people who who act this way, contrary to God's commands, and God does nothing. God does not punish them. God is lenient. Other times, though, it seems in the Bible that God is angry and wrathful and vengeful. God strikes people dead. God sends fire and brimstone. God smites people down. Think of Sodom and Gomorrah or Uzzah who was struck for touching the ark of God, or Ananias and Sapphira. And then there's the issue of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Many read these two parts of the Bible and conclude that most of the angry, wrathful judgment is in the Old Testament, and most of the mercy and love is in the New Testament. Almost as if the God of the Old Testament is a God of judgment and punishment and fire and thunder and anger and wrath, And the God of the New Testament is a God of love and forgiveness. Like, when we got to the New Testament, God finally had a change of heart. And and mellowed out and decided to be loving. Or, Or maybe Jesus talked God into being nice for a change. So question, did God change? As God dealt with humankind, did God learn a thing or two? Like, god tried stuff and learned stuff and got the hang of dealing with us humans after a while or or maybe god just had a change of heart somewhere along the way and got a lot nicer well if you hold these ideas then then how do you reconcile them with the fact that the bible is clear that god does not change that god is stable and dependable and steady that god is immutable and unchanging Let's explore this because this is very important to our view of God. For starters, think about this. The fact that I treat people differently in different situations does not necessarily mean that I've changed. It could mean that I'm being consistent, but that different situations and different people call for different responses. And that actually to be consistent, I have to act in those different ways, in ways appropriate, To the unique situations. Let me give you an example of this. When I first met Anne, who's now my wife, she was an elementary school teacher, and she had a friend who taught first grade at the school that she taught at, and this friend was the sweetest, most mild-mannered young woman you could meet. She was nurturing. She was kind. She was compassionate. When she wanted to get her students' attention, she would whisper, and they would listen. And so what a surprise to experience when we went to visit her, or we didn't go to visit her, Anne went to visit her at her house, that, that Ann told me she used this loud, deep, strong, assertive voice to talk to her dog. She just about yelled at her dog. It was startling. But it wasn't that she was being a different person at home. It was, and it wasn't that she didn't like her dog. But it was rather that she'd had trouble controlling her dog, so much so that she'd gone to dog obedience school with her dog, And there she'd learned that dogs, or at least the breed and temperament of dog that she had, they have to know that you are the boss, that you're the alpha, the pack leader. Because if you're just all sweet and quiet with your dog, they won't respect you and they'll walk all over you. And so this woman had had to learn to find her firm, strong, loud voice. (laughs) Because that worked to lead and, and manage her dog. What worked to manage six-year-olds in her classroom did not work with her dog. It wasn't that she had changed. She was the same person at home and at school, but different situations called for different responses. If you've ever been a parent or a supervisor or a teacher, you probably relate that, that people are different. No, not everyone responds the same way. And and if you handle everyone the same way, you're probably not going to be a great supervisor or parent or teacher. And so that certainly explains some of the reasons that God handles different situations and different people differently. But what about the big question of the Old Testament God versus the New Testament God? When um, I was asking for uh, hard questions about God that we might not want to address, this one came up as a question that people struggle with and wonder about. It's certainly true that there are more stories of God violently punishing people in the Old Testament than the New. But then again, the Old Testament is a far longer book than the New Testament, right? Especially in terms of the amount of history that each covers. Think how much time the Old Testament spans. From creation in Abraham all the way to Moses, the judges, David all the kings, the prophets, the exile, after the exile, well over a thousand years worth of history. Contrast that with the New Testament, which all mostly takes place in less than half a century. The four Gospels, for example, cover mainly the three years of Jesus' earthly ministry. The Book of Acts, the other main narrative in the New Testament, maybe 30 years at the most. A thousand plus years, 30 plus years. It's hardly a comparison. Also, we do find judgment in the 30 to 50 years the New Testament tells us about. Ananias Ananias and Sapphira, of course, are the most famous example. They're struck down for lying to the Holy Spirit. Also, King Herod drops dead in the book of Acts when he fails to give glory to God. Also, Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians that some of the Corinthians had gotten sick and even died because they were being callous and nasty in the communion service to some others in their church who were poorer than they were. Then, of course, there's the huge act of judgment, which happened in Jerusalem, or to Jerusalem in 70 A.D., which Jesus predicted again and again, and and Jesus claimed that it was God's judgment on Jerusalem for failing to receive Jesus as God's son. Jerusalem was brutally and utterly slain and destroyed in 70 A.D., So there is judgment in the New Testament, and there's also abundant amounts of grace and mercy in the Old Testament. I mean, if you stop and think about it, for every time God punishes and destroys someone in the Old Testament, how many times does God forgive someone? Is God patient with someone? Does God give someone better than they deserve? Because if you look beyond the individual Bible stories of judgment at the big storyline of the Old Testament, it's overwhelmingly a story of God's patient faithfulness, of God's abundant forgiveness, of God's relenting of sending judgment, of God bearing with his people in mercy, generation after generation, century after century. If you were here last fall when we went through the Old Testament story, you saw this. In that sermon series, we saw that what drives the Old Testament story isn't God's wrath or anger, but rather God's mercy and faithfulness toward his people again and again and again. And this is expressed above all in the covenants that God, we saw, made with his people in the Old Testament. God comes to people who don't deserve it, and God says to them, Let's have a relationship. I'll be faithful to you. I promise. I'll make you into a nation. I'll give you a land. I'll protect you. I'll bless you. I'll use you to bless the world. I'll um, be committed to you forever. And I want you to be faithful to me too. In fact, I expect you to. I command you to be faithful to me. But what happens when God's people are not faithful? Well, God may discipline them. God may punish individuals or even entire generations at times, upholding his standards, setting up boundaries and consequences to reinforce that he's holy and that his expectations that that we be faithful, they're no joke, they're no optional suggestion. But what we find more often than not, the vast majority of times that people are unfaithful to God is that God is patient and God bears with the people. And in fact, God even gives them a sacrificial system so that their sins can be atoned for so that they can continue to have a relationship with God even when they're unfaithful. So what is the Old Testament story? It's the story of God's people disappointing God, wandering from God, rebelling against God again and again and of God again and again continuing to be faithful, being patient, having mercy, this is the God of the Old Testament. It's also, of course, the God of the New. The God who sent his only Son to be merciful to us once and for all. The God who came as the Son in love, in grace, to forgive us. The God of the Old Testament. The God of the New Testament. It's the same exact God. Because God does not change. Not one bit. Granted, there are more hair-raising examples of God's anger and powerful wrath in the Old Testament and more sweet, gentle celebrations of God's love and grace in the New Testament. But what we've got to do is hold them all together and say they're all pictures, all lessons, all revelations of the same God, the one God who doesn't change. And so we need to come to grips with the fullness of who God is. We have to realize that when we meet the holy God of Mount Sinai, thundering and smoking with with trumpet blasts, warning the Israelites not to come close or touch the mountain, lest God's holiness consume them, that this is the same God who came to us in Jesus Christ. It's a hard picture to hold together, right? On the other hand, when we see Jesus, a, a good shepherd, gentle, full of compassion, eating with tax collectors and sinners, forgiving their sins. This is, the whole, this is what the holy God of the Old Testament is like. Wow, when we ponder the, the fullness of, of who God is, we, we should expect our brains to get stretched as we struggle to hold together in tension all that the Bible reveals to us about God because God doesn't change. So how do we reconcile them then? God's judgment and God's mercy, God's wrath and God's grace, which we see both of them in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. How do we reconcile them? Well, the book of James points us in the right direction. James tells us in chapter 2, verse 13, that mercy triumphs over judgment. And the New Testament reveals to us more fully how this works out, how mercy triumphs over judgment, and how God's mercy and God's justice can be reconciled and held together. And the answer is found in the cross of Jesus Christ, where God's unchanging justice and God's unchanging mercy are both fully expressed. And when all is said and done, mercy is offered to all. Romans 3, 25 and 26. God presented Christ as the sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. You could also translate that as justice. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who who justifies those who have faith in Jesus? Paul's reminding us of how much we do see God's mercy and God's patience in the Old Testament. As Paul puts it here, God in his forbearance had left all those sins committed beforehand unpunished. Sure, some sins got punished in the Old Testament, but so many more never were punished. But now on the cross, Paul says, God has presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement to deal with those sins now, to give them the punishment that they deserve. And so in the New Testament, we we do see God's holy, God's just punishment for sins and wickedness. In fact, do you realize that in the New Testament, we find the biggest, the most striking example of God's judgment and wrath of all? Do you realize that? But wonder of wonders, it does not fall on those who deserve it. But it falls on Jesus Christ instead. It falls on God himself. Instead of punishing the people who committed those sins, God punished a substitute in their place. And God himself became the substitute. Wow. This is what an unchanging God is like. And now nobody can accuse God of being inconsistent, of not being fair, of not being just, not dealing appropriately with the injustices of the world. Because on the cross, God dealt with it all. Justly. Fairly. And yet God dealt with it in a way that God could still offer mercy to everyone. As God did very often in the Old Testament, and God still does. In the new. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. And in both the old and the new, that mercy were made possible through the cross. Through Jesus Christ's death on the cross, God offers mercy to everyone who will receive it. But those who who won't receive this mercy, who don't find shelter under the cross, who, who don't find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. They still face God's judgment. The New Testament is as clear about this as the Old. Because God doesn't change. There's still a day of judgment, a day of reckoning for all people. The the fiery judgment and justice that we see in the Old Testament. And so the question for each of us is will we receive God's mercy? Will we come to the cross on which Jesus died to receive the mercy that God offers us there? Or will we hold out and take our chances on the day when God's full justice finally comes? And so as we close, let let me ask you what are you depending on? What am I depending on? What are we where are we looking for stability and for security? Are we looking in the things of this world? or are we looking to an unchanging God? To God who from eternity past to eternity future is forever the same, all-powerful, all-knowing, wise, full of justice and holiness, and yet abounding in mercy and grace. Will you choose to depend on this God And what would it look like for you to trust this God more? Do you need to put your trust in Jesus? To let him take your sins? To let him take God's anger and God's justice for the wrong things that you've done? So that you can receive God's mercy instead. Or if you've done that, is there a place in your life today where you need to stop trusting other less steady things and less faithful people and to start depending on an unchanging God instead. Let's pray, and I'll I'll give you a minute to talk to God. Pray silently about what you're depending on, and then I'll close this. God, you who do not change, who are a mighty fortress, a strong deliverer, a tower, a rock, a foundation. Forgive us for so often depending on things so less stable, so less strong, so less enduring. Forgive us for trying to earn our own way into your pleasure rather than receiving the mercy you offer us freely through Jesus Christ. And as we have just been talking to you about that, and choosing to trust you for the things we need to trust you for. I pray that you would hear our prayers. Amen.